For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick for the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome to what will be another episode in our Heat Stories library. You can find the rest of those wherever you get your podcast. We did one with Udonis Haslam, Mario Chalmers, Chris Bosh, and now two-time champion, Shane Battier. Also check out fivereasonsports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsports.com. There you can find all of the podcasts in our network, including Three Yards Per Carry, Five on the Floor, and Five Rings Canes. But you can also find all of our merchandise and the latest Miami sports trending news, as well as opinions, our YouTube channel. It's all there. And unlike the other guys, it is all free. Also, check out all of the sponsors in our network. They are South Florida sports fans like you. They support us. We hope you support them. And one of them is Making America Clean Again. This is a new division of Greenview Construction. You can find it at macainc.net, M-A-C-A-Inc.net, or by calling 855-561-6653. And what is MACA? Well, it's exactly what you need these days, particularly if you run a business. Why? Because everybody's concerned about cleaning and sterilization. That's what they do. You're going to want to get that certificate showing that you care about the place you're at and the people who come into it. They provide professional cleaning, sanitizing, disinfecting, and sterilization services to a wide range of residential and commercial projects. It can be overnight it can be permanent, bacterial, viral, fungi, mold. They take care of all of it. So go out and get that certificate. Again, it's macainc.net, M-A-C-A-I-N-C.net, or 855-561-6653. And now, Shane Battier. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, welcome back to the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure to check out all of the previous Heat Stories episodes in our library. That includes Udonis Haslam, Mario Chalmers, Chris Bosch, and more. Also, as I mentioned earlier, check out FiveReasonsSports.com. Today, though, we've got one of the most requested guests that we've had here for a Heat Stories episode. He spent three years with the Miami Heat. He won two championships. He was the horse astronaut, which, of course, we will get into today. And he is Shane Battier. Shane, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Ethan, pleasure to be here. You have a captive audience today, uh, but there's no other place I'd rather be than you today. <laughs> That's not really true. But the captive audience part is true, so we appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's, it's terrible that it took this kind of crisis to bring us together, but we're together, and all we're going to focus on today is – your three years with the Miami Heat and the time leading up to it, not your time in the Heat front office or anything that's going on in the league right now. Strictly nostalgia and memories. And just wanted to start here. Before you came to the Miami Heat, you were with a bunch of other teams, as we know. Um, a couple of them were Houston and Memphis. But I want to go back to 2010 and the decision. What did you think 
of that. How did you think it was going to change the league? And because there seemed to be a lot of players around the league who were angry about it. Were you angry about LeBron going to Miami? I wasn't angry. Uh, you know, I spent my first 10 years in the Western Conference. And the Eastern Conference seemed so far away that it was almost like a, a, a whole different fantasy land. And I was just happy LeBron stayed in the East, uh, to be honest with you. Um, so I wouldn't say we were, we were like angry. I, I think there was, some, there was some collective eye rolling of the players. Because look, the, the dirty secret is we, we hate every team. And if every team won 82, we'd be, we'd be fine with that. And so it, it wasn't like the fans who, who were actively rooting against the Miami Heat now. Uh, you know, we wanted to, to, to beat and if anything, when you played those guys, you knew that they were a super team. So, you know, they got your full focus, but it wasn't like we wanted to beat them, to embarrass them. We just wanted them to lose to a competitor. That first year, um, you faced them once. Is that right? That, that, that first yes. year when they were going through all that? I, and that was with Houston. And I th- – oh, no, excuse me. That was with Memphis. And I, I believe that didn't go well, right? Like that – from what I remember of that game, was that down here? Yeah, they were, yeah, they were, I mean, they were really good. They were really, really, good. and uh, that Memphis team, we were the eighth seed in the, uh, in the Western Conference. Um, we actually ended up beating the Spurs, who, who were the one seed that year. Uh, you know, it was a typical road game against an, an elite team. Um, they were really good first half. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was no way, there was no way, even in the game, I never, ever imagined, like, oh, maybe I'm going to join these guys next year. It, it never crossed your mind. Like, it, the, the, whole, no. the whole time – because, I mean, you knew what your free agent status was going to be. You know what your contract status was going to be. Where did you think you were going to be the next year? I thought that um, – well, A, I, Miami salary cap situation. And so, at the time, I'm like, I'm not going to take a pay cut to go play with these guys. Like, this, <laughs> this is the last bite of the apple for me. Uh, and so there, there were some teams I knew would have some cap space, Toronto, Indiana, um, San Antonio was, was a place that I always really a lot of things with, um, you know, th- th- those were sort of the teams I was, was looking at because I wanted to go to a team that had chance, um, but also to, to get one last bite at the app and uh, not sell myself short from an economic standpoint. <laughs> but Miami, my, but Miami was not like, oh, you know, maybe Miami. I, I promise you, I didn't even start thinking about that till uh, until I was out of the offs in uh, in eleven. All right, so take so take me through that, okay? So the the Heat lose in the finals. Um, I think there's always been this great mystery about what happened there. Did you watch the 2011 finals? I mean, you had guarded LeBron plenty of times. Did you, at the time as you're watching it, have any theories on what happened to them? there what happened what happened to him well it was obvious that entire year that they were they were playing um kind of an awkward dance in terms of basketball it was sort of it was my turn it's your turn now it's my turn and those guys were so good lebron Wade, and cb uh but that uh they got away with it until they until they didn't dallas you know they just were a better team at, at that point they played great team basketball and obviously dirk had a had a huge, huge series, and made different guys step up. Um, but it, you know, I, I don't think it was it was because of insecurity or anything else. I just didn't think stylistically the Heat put it all together. And I can say that now, 
seen what it's like when when that team actually played true team basketball and, and it, was, it was a beautiful sight uh, but that first year for them was really about growing pains um was my perspective from afar being in the locker room years um, that they, they sort of had to go through that and uh if they had won that series i probably would not have come to miami to be honest with you really I, I haven't heard you say that before. But why? Because you didn't want to join a team that had already won a championship, or or what was it more the uh, economics? Yeah. You know, well, both. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, you know, my criteria for joining the team was I wanted to play for Hinder, where I had a major role, and you know, obviously, I I'd only been out of the first round, um, you know, at that point, twice in my career. Um, so I never made a championship run, and you know I, I sort of wanted to be um, a guy that that brought a team to a, to a higher level, which was my which was my mo my entire career. And so it would have been as fun professionally for me if I wanted a team that that had won more. That, that's just so. All right, so take me through those conversations. So the Heat reach out to you, reach out to your agent. Uh, say that there's interest. I mean, we anticipated there, there would be interest, but we also thought that the Heat would probably go after a big in that offseason because they had cycled through so many bigs and they were still trying to play kind of a more traditional style. What was that process like? And I mean, there were other teams that you mentioned, San Antonio, that I remember being reported at the time. How close was it to going somewhere else? It was close to the end. You know, and you know, my final four teams, Toronto, Indiana, Miami, and San Antonio. Uh, Toronto didn't offer me more money, more years. Uh, both those teams were, were, you know, really good at the time. Indiana was, was on the cusp. Um, and that was, that was appealing. Uh, so, you know, obviously playing with their version of the, of the big three. And I knew they were, they were dangerous the next three or four years. Um, and, you know, I had some really good conversations with Nick Harrison. Obviously, I've known Nick uh, since college, and he's always been a, a close friend. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was one thing that he said, just looking at my decision. I said, I want to be with people that I really respect and, and I trust. And I, trust, I trusted Nick and, and Mickey and Madeline. And, um, you know, I, I never spoken to Pat Rod before, ever, uh, before. Like I, I never even think I've seen him outside the, the arena. Um, and so it was interesting getting to know Pat and understanding the legend of this Pat and obviously being in the Western Conference. I just didn't, I didn't know the Miami Heat, heat culture, um, which was scary, to be honest with you. And I, I, was, <laughs> I was scared. I was scared that I was going to come to Miami and become Lance Armstrong. Because that is the reputation that Miami had that, like, look, you, all you're going to and, and, and Pat Riley has a row of fakes on the, on, the, on the wall, and you're going to be Lance Armstrong and just be a, a, a world-class cyclist. But I was scared. I was 30, 33, 34 years old, and I'm like, I don't want to do that for the next three years. Um, <laughs> you know, which I laugh now because that's, like, the farthest thing from the truth. I, don't think I rode a bike, like, once in like, my three years uh, with the heat. But, uh, you know, the, the heat culture for me at that point – uh, was a draw, but it was, I was a little, I was, I was also, I didn't know if I wanted to be coached that hard and, and, and sort of ridden that hard after, after 10 years in the league and having really a made freedom uh, for, for, for 10 years in my career. 
Did any of the players that were on the team at that point have conversations with you? I know, obviously, you, you had a relationship with Mike uh, that went back, but did, did any of the big three guys, when was your first conversation with LeBron? It, it was, did it occur any time during that process? Yeah, that, that was sort of the last, the last piece of it um, where I wanted to talk to LeBron, D-Wade, and CB and just, just, just feel them. You know, I wasn't looking for them to say, oh, Shane, we need you. You're the missing link. Um, <clears throat> You know, after being in team dynamics, you can feel guys out and understand where they're coming from. And, you know, are, are these guys dedicated to, to do everything it takes in the championship this year? Are they happy just just being being the big three? And they, they were very candid about desire to win and appreciation from, from my skill set. It was something they didn't have on the roster at the time, um, you know, mainly because I – never dribbled and I only shot the ball when I was wide open. So, you know, I, did, I wasn't taking anything away from them. So there was, they, they weren't threatened by any means. Um, but it was important to me to hear from those guys because it was their team. And I was, I was convinced um, after talking to them that this, this was the right place for me to, to go. But then you come in and it's a weird season, right? I mean, it's the lockout season. Uh, you don't start the season until Christmas in Dallas, uh, what was that first training camp like with them? And did you sort of immediately, because I know you analytically study these things, did you start to sort of immediately figure out your fit? Well, unfortunately, I, sp I spent my lockout in the woods of Michigan at my, uh, in my, in my lake house. And like, I'm in the middle of the wood. I'm doing style training. I'm chopping wood. I'm running hills. I'm throwing boulders. Uh, I don't have a big weight room. And so I don't think I proved the best way to, to, to for a lockout shortened season. And so I actually took my quad on the first day of training camp. And I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Like, you know, all the buildup, all the emotions. I'm in a new town. I don't know anybody. You know, it's like going to school for the first time. You're all nervous. And like within 20 minutes, first drill, I pull my, my quad. <laughs> So I'm like, is this, a, is this a sign from God is in my right spot? And at the time, my family wasn't there. And so there was, there was, there was some questioning whether I made the right decision. Um, and I, I was just, I, I wanted to, to, to just prove to my teammates that, you know, you know, I'm here to win. I'm here to help. You know, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do. And to, to pull your quad in the first 20 minutes was, was really disheartening. Um, and so the training camp was, was super intense. Um, it was probably wasn't as intense as the year before uh, as the players said, but what I noticed was there was an amazing edge about this team, an, an edge from losing to Dallas, you know, a few months earlier that I had never seen before in any, any team I've been on. And I'm mm. like, holy cow, these guys are angry angry and it, it was like the training stamp was angry the coaches were angry the players were angry and it, like in a, in, a, in a good way the edge was so defined that i said all right these guys are these guys are some dogs and uh and so my first action i think i practiced one a day before Christmas, and my first action actually was on christmas day at that game um and we came out like gangsters i mean if you just seen this team before the uh, you know the the jump ball while the the, the Mavs were getting their rings to be opened up in Dallas. I mean these these guys were throttling at the moment. Just Dallas, and they destroyed them so badly, and destroyed them we did. 
And mm-hmm. after that game, I'm like, oh, we're winning this. <laughs> we're winning this. <laughs> so you already established that after the first game. But one of the things that, that players uh, that came to the Heat during that period, I think, or, or even just as this team was put together in 2010, I think started to recognize but maybe didn't realize was kind of a concept that we used to call the, uh, the, the random scrub Heat killer, which was that you would get everybody's best every single night. And there were the phenomenon that – uh, you know, somebody would have 18 rebounds against you one game. And I, I think LeBron used to keep track of it. He, like 18 rebounds one game, but then he'd have one rebound against Atlanta the next game or score 30 against you. Had you ever experienced a team, uh, a team where every other team was coming at you that hard every night? And there, is there one example from that first year where you're like, whoa? You know, it reminded me so much of my days at Duke. Uh, it was kind of scary. Uh, because, you know, something Coach K used to tell us was, look, as soon as the schedule comes out, everyone will know when to Duke, because that is that team's Super Bowl. Unless that team's going for a national championship, like Maryland or Carolina. You know, Duke is the Super Bowl for that team. And so you have to understand and expect that you're going to get the best uh, from every single player in every team. And and so, um, you know, I, I was used to that mentality. And so it was it was very similar um, you know, coming Emmy, you know, every gym you played at, played at was, was packed. And look, when the gym is energies like that, crazy things happen by people that have no idea are going to go off. And just because they feel confident, they feel home, they feel good. And they hit a few shots. Okay. It's great. Uh, and so it was the thing to Duke that I experienced. So I, I don't remember like specific guys. Um, but you know, you learn not to be surprised by a guy or four threes or just playing a little a, a little harder, um, which is fun though. You 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 learn to embrace that that challenge. You know, would you rather play in a, in a dead arena every single night or one that's packed out and has energy? And uh, uh, there's nothing better than going into a packed house and making the fans leave. And that's what we enjoy doing. All right, so 46 and 20 that first year, 66 game season. Uh, you guys kind of breezed through the first round series. Of course, there was the fire extinguisher incident and some other things. A bunch of uh, you know, a bunch of stuff that happened there. I guess a couple of the the Knicks guys blew out knees. It was kind of a little bit of a crazy series. But you get through to Indiana, and I, I wanted to go through some of this with you because you were such a key player in what happened between there and what happened the next series. Um, first thing, the the mood when Chris got hurt um, against the Pacers and did you have sort of any feeling that you would end up playing the role that you did? It ended up being a series later where the switch was really made, but the the role that you would in kind of as Eric was going through these lineups, trying to figure out what was going to work, that's ultimately come up with something that did. Um, you know, there was definitely an oh shit moment uh, when, when CB was down. It was like, uh, he was the one guy, uh, or so or so we thought, that we just really couldn't afford. Because Chris was obviously, you know, I, I think the best pick and roll defender in the league uh, for big and, and his versatility, and just gave us an element that we just couldn't replace. And they, LeBron, D. Wayne were, were replaceable, but <laughs> you know, for our scheme, CB was 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 really really critical. And, and so when he went down, you know, you're in the middle of the playoffs. So you don't have to really lament and say, you know, well, me, oh no, it's not going to work out. We all knew, we all knew this 
stakes were. If we lose to Indiana or we lose in the playoffs, they're blowing that team. And we all have new homes. And so that's not something we really say to each other, but we, we have to understand the pressure. And, you know, I'll never forget the first game after CB uh, went down. People, you know, sort of forget the narrative. You know, they started Dexter Pittman and me at the, mm-hmm. the five. Mm-hmm. All right. So for an eventual, an eventual NBA champion, that's probably the worst starting front court in NBA history. <laughs> <laughs> it spoke, it spoke to where, to where Spo was. And, you know, I give Spo and, and Fizz, David Fizdale, just a ton of credit uh, for really being creative um, for, it had been very easy to go back to what they did the year before and say, you know what, D-Wade, LeBron, just carry us. And we're going to give you guys a bunch of ISOs, just clear it out and try to lead us to the championship. But to, to, to spawn for this credit, and I don't think we'll ever get the credit for that, uh, for that specific situation. They really just reimagined who we were on the fly. And I had no idea I, I was, you know, the first small ball power forward, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the era. But, uh, you know, I went to those guys and like whatever, whatever it takes. I played four in college. I always thought I was an awesome post defender and I loved the challenge. And I knew I was uh, super smart and I could outsmart the big dummies I had to guard uh, if I couldn't overpower them. And I said, Look, let's try it. Uh, but before that could even happen, Dwayne had to kind of get off the mat. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that and what you guys were experiencing because. Uh, to me, the, the last three games that LeBron and Dwayne had in that series were probably as well as they ever played together. Um, I mean, the numbers are frightening, but it wasn't happening for Dwayne. And, and I remember us being in Indiana. I think the movie at the time that everybody was going to see that week was The Dictator. I remember you went and I was in a theater with LeBron and Dwayne was back with Tom Crean in Indiana and he was getting his knee drained and all that. Um, how concerned were you guys about that? The fact that Dwayne was not only was Chris out, but Dwayne was struggling too. And then all of a sudden it's like LeBron got him a layup, I think in the end of the first half in game four and it all clicked. And from then they terrorized everybody. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we knew when, when D Wade and LeBron were playing at their highest level, it was a scary, scary thing. And it was a, just a fun matchup. They were they were really physical. They were big. They were trying to beat the hell out of us. Um, and so a hobbled D Wade obviously just wasn't as effective. He, he couldn't finish at the rim. Uh, he he lost a little bit of faith in in his jumper. Um, but we never lost faith in him really. Um, we knew when it when it mattered, he he sort of be there. Um, and so there wasn't uh, you know. And also, who, who are we going to take out to put in for D-Wade? There weren't a lot of options on the roster. I will agree with you, you know, on so, that. So we were, we, were going, we were going down with our horses, man. We were, we were going down. And, uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just funny that, you know, no one talks about D-Wade's struggle and his health struggle, but uh, he, he found it. And when he when he found it, and I tell you, when when you know when that dude was was confident, you know he just lifted up the entire really organization. And the same thing he did in two thousand and six. But man, when he looked in his eye and same with LeBron, man, it was 
it, it just, just made you want to run through a wall. And uh, those guys definitely had the last couple of games in that series. Well, so you win that series and then you play Boston. Like we mentioned, we make Chris comes back. Uh, the transitions made where you're putting the starting lineup with Chris, but even with that, it's game six going into game six. I cannot remember the heat fan base being more despondent and negative than, and there, there were some negative times than they were before game six. I, I, I remember sitting at a, at a bar in Boston and every tweet I was getting was, we're losing tomorrow, we're losing tomorrow, we're losing tomorrow. Um, some of these stories have been told before, but is there any new light you can kind of shed on that period between losing, uh, between being in a position where, where you were down and then LeBron and everything that happened in game six? Because as you mentioned, that team was getting broken up if, if you lose to Indiana or Boston. So it, anything that you can remember that maybe hasn't been told? Yeah, we, we, uh, it was, uh, it was tense times. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was, it was tense. And we lose game five at home to Boston, which was kind of a shock because it was one of those where uh, we just thought we, we had under control and, and just played horrible at home. And we have to go to Boston. Um, down 3-2, and look, everyone knew the ramifications. Everyone knew what that game meant, all right? You know, we, we get into Boston, and you could just feel Boston fans were just ready to bury the big three. They were, so, they, they were almost giddy. They were almost giddy that, oh, we're going to end the big three. They're going to break them up. We're going to win the championship. And it's like, it's like a, it's, it's a perfect world. And so, you know, we were actually pretty loose. I remember being actually pretty loose before the game, and even though we knew what the what the ramifications were, and uh, you know, it became very apparent that uh, LeBron was a different man, a different man that day. And uh, you know, well, like before the game, we we sensed this this power from LeBron. LeBron, LeBron was the same; he was pretty even keel before before the games. But you know, by the first by the first media timeout, it was like, holy cow, this is the dude right here. <laughs> and, you know, it's very few times that I've been around people that just, you know, not, not going to let you lose. And that day, there was, he wasn't going to let us lose. Just was not going to let us lose. If they had to carry him off, he, that was going to be the, the day for LeBron. And he just he single-handedly ripped not only won the game, but ripped the soul out of Boston. Ripped the soul. I never seen that before, you know. And he almost killed poor Jason Terry by knocking on him. And like after that game, that feeling again. Oh man, we, we're winning this. <laughs> Even though we had to go win a game seven home against Boston, but uh, you know, I'll just never forget walking out of the, the garden and just looking up. And just seeing the look on all the Celtics' faces, and they just were so dejected because they were so sure this this was it. This was it. LeBron has a new home. D Wade has a new home. Josh has a new next year, and we're going to be the ones to do it. And uh, it was a pretty sweet win. We'll get back to our episode with Shane Batty in a second, but we've been telling you about some of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. A lot of them are appropriate for today's times, and all of them are from South Florida. One of them is the Gonzalez and Tybor Law Firm. That's Gonzalez and Tybor at bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com, bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com, or 
888-888-8354. An attorney will answer your call. They service South Florida, but also represent clients north in the state, Orlando, Tampa, Fort Myers. They've got consultations available via telephone or video conference. Look, a lot of people don't like to talk about bankruptcy, but it's one of the few laws that exist to actually help Consumers, the new stimulus package passed by Congress made important changes to the bankruptcy laws, so it's important to have a lawyer explain. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Plan the changes. Don't try to figure it out by yourself. They've got payment plans and little to no upfront fees. And if you are lucky enough to get through this with no financial problems, there's a chance that someone you know isn't. So reach out to them. They can help. A lot of people were carrying a lot of debt before the pandemic and living paycheck to paycheck. Bankruptcy can give a chance to start fresh without ruining your credit. Most people see an increase of more than 100 points in their credit score within a year of filing. So again, go to bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. That's bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. 954-678-8354. And another of our sponsors, and as we speak, I'm actually finishing up my last order and planning on making another. It's Christopher's Bakery. You can find them at Christopher'sBakery.com backslash five reasons. That's spelled out, F-I-V-E reasons, where you'll get a coupon for 15% off. All you got to do is type in five reasons, F-I-V-E reasons. What is Christopher's Bakery? Well, it's great. Um, their signature product is a vanilla wafer cake. I actually ordered the one with chocolate chips. Um, it was created more than 30 years ago. Our friend Courtney Harris, who's a follower of the network, it was actually his father who founded it, but it was named after his brother who unfortunately died from a seizure at just 11 years old. So they partnered with Miami Nicholas Children's Hospital and set up a fund where they donate a portion of the sales to epilepsy neuroscience research since that's where young Christopher spent much of his life. Again, the signature product of vanilla wafer cake, but they've got several other cake options available for shipping. Typically, they can deliver here, but obviously with the crisis, things are a little different, but they will get it to you quickly. As soon as the ordeal passes, they'll begin hand delivery again. Again, they can deliver to South Florida, but also to other locations. So check it out, Christopher'sBakery.com backslash five reasons, 15% off with the code five reasons. And now back to Shane Battier. Yeah, no doubt. And so then you end up winning game seven. There's this weird, weird thing in sports where everybody always remembers the game sixes and not the game sevens, whether it's Carlton Fisk's Homer or, you know, the Mets in 86. It's always about the game six. You still had to win a game seven. You win a game seven. Uh, you go to the finals and you play a team that now, looking back, had three MVPs on it. Um, you were entrusted with, uh, with a lot of things in that series, but one of the things you were entrusted with was guarding James Harden mm -hmm. and pretty much kept him in check. Um, I mean, that series is still held against him to this day uh, because he didn't give enough to help the other two guys. How did you prepare for that particular assignment? You know, Harden is one of the great, you know, one of the all-time great scorers in the league. And, um, you know, you didn't know how they were going to react because they were so young at the time. You know, look back at it, Westbrook, Durant, and Harden, they were all puppies. And so 
good, good places, <laughs> you know, and we had a really solid game plan. And, you know, you don't see these Hall of Fame players by themselves. And we just were, we were really, really dialed in. And, uh, you know, Joe, Joel Anthony, I thought, played an amazingly great defensive finals that year. Um, obviously, CB was, was, was amazing. Uh, but we, you know, we forced those guys just to really make shots, keep them off the foul line and make shots over the top. And, uh, you know, game one was, you know, I thought we played really well in game one. And we just, we just ran out of steam at the end. And so after game one, we, we were actually really confident. Um, so even though we lost that game, we're like, we're, we're going to win game two. And, you know, the funny thing, like when, once you lose home court, um, especially as a young team, you're, you're, it's really demoralized. It's only one game, but, it, but it's more than that. And we could feel that after going into game two and playing well and, and uh, taking it back home court. And then you win. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because I, I feel like that's a little bit of a forgotten series. Like we, we had Eric Reed on. And he says, I feel like the, the 12 team is kind of the, the forgotten championship of the three heat championships. Everybody remembers Ray's shot. Everybody remembers 06 and what Dwayne did. But the 12 team, which, again, accomplished beating three guys who ended up becoming three of the, I don't know, top 15 players of this era, um, and, and it's not talked about as much. Was there one moment from, from that game five where it kind of sinks in with you, I, I'm a champion? Not just a champion in college, but I'm a champion at this level too. Um, you know, we're, I think we're up 30. And I think when Scotty Brooks finally pulled uh, Katie and, and, and Russ and, and Harden, and it, there's a moment of disbelief. You're just like, holy cow, they're, they're waving a white flag. We're going to win this. We're, we're NBA champions. And it's something that, you know, you, you dream about as a kid. It's cliche. Um, but you don't really know how hard it is until you actually do it. <laughs> you say, and you say, holy cow, like that's what it takes to win an NBA championship. And you don't really, and then like for me at least, until until those guys got pulled, he did it. And it's like, holy cow, that is so hard. It is so hard to do. Uh, but you do it, you do it all again. And, and all the doubt and all the close calls and all the, the, the stitches and the blood and the muscle pulls and the losses and one, you know. You, you, you do it all again because um, it, it takes just an unbelievable effort and anyone who's a champion is, is, is worthy of that. You win the championship, you went to Denny's, right? What, what, why, how did, how did that come up? Because that was that year, right? That was 12, not 13. That, and that I, ended up on I, social actually, media. Why Denny's? Yeah, there was, there was a, a misconception of that. I, I went to Denny's <laughs> both years, actually. In uh, <laughs> 13, um, I posted a picture, but, uh, that night at the championship, we all went to live. Um, and I'm not a you know, club guy. Um, mm -hmm. and so it was, it was fun, but like, I much rather would have gone to just the bar and, and just danced on the, on the, on the, on the bar top and been able to talk and celebrate. Like it was so loud and like, I sound like an old man, but it was like, we're NBA champions. And someone say, what? I said, we're NBA champions. I can't hear you. Yeah, okay, we'll talk. <laughs> so it was, it was fun, you know, because we won our first championship. But I learned my sin, and I, I went to a, a much quieter place to celebrate the next year. But, you know, 
Denny's is close to my house. It was open at 8 a.m. And uh, I was hungry. So I, I wasn't trying to make a statement. It was it was convenience and, and speed at that point. This wasn't like <laughs> the Bud and I this wasn't, grease. No, I, I needed needed, grease. This wasn't like the Bud Light that was delivered to your house because that seemed that, that 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 seemed a little bit more orchestrated. This this was actually just I'm hungry. I need a Grand Slam breakfast. I'm going to Denny's. It's just that simple. Yeah. Okay. Just that simple. All right. So let's go to let's go to the next season then. And there's a few things I want to get into with you. So now you're a champion. The 12-13 season uh, occurs, and one thing that everybody's been trying to get out of you for the longest time is the speech that, I mean, you're responsible for the 27 game winning streak. You realize that. So I wouldn't go that far, but uh, what did you say? And what, and what, and what, and what, were you in Toronto at the time? Is that right? Because I remember you guys watched the Super Bowl in Toronto, right? You watched it real sports, um, which is right near the arena. And so you give this speech, what compelled you to, to give it? And how much time did they give you to give this particular speech? And what did you say? You know, that, that day was just all-time day. Okay, first of all, we won the 12 p.m. tip-off in Toronto, which is always a hard game. Like, Toronto does that on purpose because it's like an impossible win. You're tired. <laughs> I can't. Um, and so we obviously had huge sports fans, football fans. So we were actually about renting a, a plane uh, just to get direct TV so we could watch the game because we were going to miss the game and be in the air uh, at the next day against the, uh, the Bobcats in back in Miami. And uh, the team, you know, said, you know what? No, no, no. Okay, we'll, we'll stay. We'll have a party. We'll even fly in. Get, you know, get there late. You know, we had a bunch of veterans. So, so uh, we're all we're all jacked up. So, real sports bar, one of the best sports bars in the world. Um, they do an unbelievable job of like of decorating the bar and you know we had, we had some beers and just like hooting and howling and what what did me in was the uh the power outage um it was the night against the ravens and it, in canada they have an anchor beer and um i probably have four or five just during power outage alone not to you know mention the the six pack I put down quite a few that and I was dehydrated from the game and so uh, I was feeling the spirit I was feeling the love and you know when I, when I have a few beers you know I get very lovey not right? lovey and uh, it was an unbelievable day by the end of the day you know I, was, I, I put on the Colin Kaepernick jersey I was on one of the, the mannequins in the bar and I was running around hooting and hollering and you know I home for the Ravens and it was just like all time day. So after the, the game, we're on the bus going to the airport, and I just stand up and just, you know, just start pontificating just on life. And um, all of a sudden, I turn around and I, and I notice like everyone stopped talking. Everyone's just looking at me. And I'm like in the middle of the bus. And so, like, you know, I love a, I love a microphone and audience. So I, I start to go deeper and I start to talk about my philosophy of life and of brotherhood and the opportunity that we have as, as a group to, to reach out and touch the people in, in a metaphorical way and change the world and change the world and come together through basketball, through spirit, and we can show teamwork. And, um, you know, that's my life philosophy that I laid out there. And so at, from that day, people said, touch the people, Shane, touch the people. And, uh, 
you know, we went, we went 26 more games after that. And I was credited with that, but it really was a, uh, it was a beer induced uh, love fest for my, my brothers and, and my team, but hey, it worked. <laughs> it was organic. It was the most organic thing I've probably ever done in my entire life. And the reaction was what? So you've got Bron, you've got Chris, you've got Dwayne. I mean, all of them have addressed rooms before. They're just soaking it in basically the entire time you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, they're, they're half laughing at me, half appreciating the message. All right. They, they know that I can be full of, full of crap sometimes. Um, but I think they realize that I've always been a pure teammate and I've always had love for those guys and I was expressing my love. And so I think it was half, half appreciation half laughing at me, but. <laughs> <laughs> and it spurred the best basketball of LeBron's life, in my view, because that 27-game yeah. winning streak, he, he was insanely good. The other crazy thing, well, there's so many crazy things that happened that season, uh, including the Danny Ainge thing and everything else, but uh, one thing that always gets asked is, do you still have the horse Trinot costume do you, from, the, from the Harlem Shake? Is that still somewhere in storage or in your house? I have the mask. I have the mask. Um, that was actually Ray Allen's uh, astronaut costume that he brought everyone had to bring in like crazy props and so that was uh ray allen's astronaut and i brought in the horse and you know i, I never seen a horse not before so i invented the horse turnout and uh that was that was an awesome awesome idea and um i like it because i wanted to be in the background i didn't want to be in the front and center I, I you know i wanted to be sort of the easter egg of that of that video and uh you know, I got, got, got some, good, good, some good love out of that. Wh- whose idea was it, though? The original idea for that? Was it LeBron or was, was it Ray? Yeah, it was LeBron and D-Wade. It was LeBron and D-Wade, and this is, this is what we're doing. And we're going to make a home shake video. And Birdman, you're leading it off. <laughs> so everyone <laughs> said, all right, let's do it. I was going to say, and then Rio, of course, with the Super Mario, which uh, that, that had to be done. All right, so obviously uh, – there's been a lot written and said about that season and everything that happened during it. Um, the 27 game winning streak, uh, it ends in Chicago. I did mention the, the, you know, shut the F up and, and manage your own team thing. What, what, what was your reaction to that? I remember being in new Orleans. I remember LeBron sitting in the middle of the floor, uh, reading the tweets after Tim Donovan came out and gave us Riley's quote. And we were like, wait, what the fuck did that just say? Uh, and, and coming, <laughs> what, what, what is, what, and, and, and LeBron smiling at the floor. We thought he was going to be with the heat forever after that. Uh, what, what did you think of, of that whole circumstance? Uh, and just, again, sort of the, even after LeBron won the first championship, it still seemed like everybody was still coming after him. Yeah, well, first of all, we, we understood that literally anything that came in the papers outside of Miami and sort of our world, they were there to distract, try to distract us and, and, and create a fissure. And so we, you know, we became pretty good about just laughing, you know, literally laughing at the noise and what's, what's being said, our team. And you were pretty. I mean, you, you knew the dynamic of our guys and whatnot. And it was, it was, it was a pretty good group. And um, a lot of the, lot of the drama that was try, trying to be manufactured, just just the story, just noise. And so, um, so that, that's how we, react, we reacted to, to any any noise from the outside. But you know, look, no one should ever doubt Pat Riley's loyalty, and he he is an absolute lion, and will fight for his guy. And he made that apparent uh, numerous times uh, along the way. Uh, and so, um, you know, and, and say, yeah, that's Pat. 
and we believe it. <laughs> we believe every word that he says. I think he just wanted to go. Time. I think I think he just missed going at Danny again, Shane. To be honest, oh man, he's, he's <laughs> one of the all-time loyalists in. in yeah, no, no doubt about it. All right, so let's let's fast forward then to the postseason. I mean, you guys had a tremendous season. You had sixty-six. Was there ever a thought there of going for the seventy? I mean, because you kind of, you started the twenty-seven game winning streak a little bit later in the season, where maybe uh, there wasn't quite the opportunity for it. But I mean, w- was there ever a thought let's make this historic beyond historic? Or um, yeah, not not really, not really. I think once once the uh, you know the winning streak fell out of us. Talking about it and getting amped up, and it was it was amazing. You know, the Cleveland game, we almost we almost let it go, and um, you know, after the the streak sort of did, it was like, okay, let's let's catch our breath and let's let's prepare. We got bigger goals. It was great to be won twenty seven in a row, but if we don't win the championship, it means nothing. So it was sort of a time to reset and focus on okay, what do we have to get done for uh, the championship run here. And, and it really never was a, a discussion. You get through the playoffs again. You get Indiana again. Um, and <laughs> they were tired of you at that point. Um, was there anything about those matchups that presented particular challenges for you guys, uh, particularly as Paul George was emerging as more of a factor? Yeah, well, yeah. Paul George was an absolute handful that series, and he sort of came of age and joined the, the ranks of the superstars. And, you know, the, the, the first year we played him, our defensive scheme, like, basically just fronted David West and just totally took him out of, the, out of his game. And he didn't know what to do, even though he was way, you know, stronger than I was. Um, that didn't work, too. And so, you know, Frank Vogel did a job of, of, uh, of making it an adjustment and they were actually using our aggressiveness. And we were a super aggressive team, trapping and, and blitzing. Um, and they used it against us. And we struggled. I mean, it, it, it took everything to, uh, to, to beat those guys. They were big and they were well coached and they were disciplined. And so, you know, we respected them like them. Um, <laughs> it's by the whole in that situation, <laughs> in that series. Um, yeah. I got that sense. They were were a really formidable foe. They were. And they also had, like you said, the not liking part. Um, You know, Lance threw a little bit of that into, I remember, uh, I think Ray calling him a nincompoop or something like that in the the locker room afterwards. So I know there was a frustration level, but you get through them. um, And then the finals, and I rewatched game seven the other day because I think game seven gets forgotten in some ways that was almost, that was as good a game as game six was. Uh, but just not, not by me, Ethan, not, not by me. I don't but, forget game seven. <laughs> uh, I, well, I know that that's why we're going to get to that. So we're, we're definitely, we're definitely going to get to that. Uh, not oh. by you, not, not by you game seven, but I want to go back a little bit because you've told this story before, but I, I'd like you to tell it here on the pod. Uh, that Indiana series, the other part of that was that you weren't thrilled by the end of it. I know because, you got the DNP in seven, right? Against Indy. Uh, was that correct? Yep. Game seven. Yes, that's correct. And you have told me and that you, you took out your frustration at a karaoke bar. Is that, uh, is yeah. that right? That's also, that's also accurate. Very accurate. <laughs> Don't look back in anger, right? That's what we went with, Don't, with Oasis. That, that was, that's always the last song, Ethan. It's always the last song. <laughs> and uh, I was, so, I was so bad in the, in the playoff. I mean, I was so bad and I just, I just couldn't make a shot. 
literally couldn't make a shot. And I saw my playing time dwindle. And you know, I think at one point I was, I was like four for 28 or four for 30. I was, I was horrible. And I felt embarrassed and I, you know, was doubting myself. And, um, you know, I went to spill before game seven. I said, look, you know, uh, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do today, but this is why I'm here. This is what I'm built for game seven. So you put me in this game. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce. And Spill said, yeah, Shane, I, I know. And so I, I get ready to play. I'm ready to go. And I don't play the first quarter. Halftime, I don't play. Third, I don't play. We're up 25 points in the fourth quarter. It's apparent we're going to win. And I, I was the only player not to get in that game. And so I, I was just absolutely crushed after that game. And, you know, I, I literally cried after that game because I, I thought this is it. This is how my, my career is going to end. It's so undignified. And even though we're going to the final, I had a pity party that maybe, maybe I can't play anymore. Maybe I retire after this year. And um, so that's when I drank a lot of beer and sang karaoke with my wife. And I said, you know what? That's not who I am. I'm going to prepare, like, play 40 minutes a game. I'm going to make sure my teammates are prepared. And when I'm ready, I'm, I'm, when, when given the chance, I'm going to seize the opportunity. And that's exactly what happened in game seven. So it happened in game seven in the finals. You've talked about the adjustment that you made. Uh, was it more of a mental adjustment or was it more of what you said? I'm going <laughs> to, you were, you're missing one way. So you're going to make the adjustment to shoot it the other way. What, what played more into that? Uh, it was completely physical. And it's, you know, if you play golf and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're slicing the ball to the, to the right, you, you just you aim a little more left. And that's what I did. I figured from a golf analogy and I know it was just the spin of the way it was coming off mine, I wasn't in an all-time fix, um, you know. But I, I had, you know, two games left. This is right before game six. Um, that ah, I'm just going to shoot left. And in warm-ups, I, I, I hit like 20 for 20 or whatever. Okay, we're going to go with that. And uh, you go with whoever works that day. And so I literally was trying to hit the left side of the rim. I usually try to split, split it down the middle. And just with rotation, it was going down. <laughs> I got amazing confidence. And like, I, it's the funny thing is, I remember those the two shots, I, the two three pointers that I missed, and I didn't shoot to the left side of the rim. And like, watching those games, I still get, I'm like, why didn't I just shoot to the left side of the rim and stay with it? <laughs> so, like, I remember, remember the misses more than I remember the makes in that game. That's crazy. And then you went to Denny's, of course, uh, which, we, which, we've, which we've already covered. All right, we're going to finish here with some rapid fire with you, right? So let's go through this uh, real quick about some stuff with you, but also some stuff about your teammates. When did you know in the 13-14 season that you were retiring? Um, when I got to the gym, that first workout after the championship, and I said, I don't want to be here, <laughs> I knew then it was my last year. Really? Okay. Because I, I remember you being in Detroit uh, up there, and it seemed like your last year you were wearing the, uh, the video yeah. to record everything, but you knew immediately. All right, so the second question with that, you said after you guys lost to the Spurs that you knew pretty much you weren't winning a championship because you weren't a top-10 defensive team. At what point that season did it start to not feel right? It was always clunky. Uh, it, was, it was always clunky, just – 
the games, we, we couldn't conjure the energy. And, you know, really the second game that year against uh, Philadelphia, you know, Philly was bad. They, they were doing the process. You know, we, we beat the Bull first game and then lose to Philadelphia. And it was like, oh, man, that's a bad loss. And that's when I was, that's when I was concerned. I'm going to go through some players with you here. First thing that comes to mind, first thing that comes to mind, Chris Bosh. Intellectual. Mario Chalmers. Cajones. <laughs> you were thinking of something else to say, but that's good. I like it. Uh, Stones. Dwayne Wade. <laughs> Stones. Stones. He'll like that. Uh, Dwayne Wade. Monster, monster. I'm going to make you do a little bit more on LeBron James. I had one question for you I went to get to. Did he take to your, like, I remember you presenting a lot of the analytics stuff to him. Did he take to that, all that stuff? Did he incorporate some of that stuff? Did you feel that that had an effect on him? Quick story, you know, we're playing KD one time, and LeBron taking over his left shoulder. He wants to go over his right shoulder in the post. And luckily in the game, he did, and he went over his left shoulder and missed both shots. And it said, and that was amazing. What else you got for me? I didn't have the heart to tell him about small sample size, but it was a win for analytics. And from that day on, listen to whatever I said when it came to the math. Look at that. Small <laughs> he was always looking, he was, he was looking for an advantage. Makes him the best of all time. He, he, he's always looking for the edge. Eric Spolstra. Very thoughtful. Mickey Harrison. Loyal. Pat Riley. Competitor. Mike Miller. My homie. One of the things that always upset me is that we never saw Mike fully healthy here um, in, in Miami. I, did that frustrate you too? Because I, I feel like yeah. if, if yeah. Mike had been, there would have been there would have been more there. Uh, Ray Allen. Yeah. Clutch. <laughs> I guess that's, that's the one you come up with. And the final thing here, we just did a whole podcast about this. I feel like as much as that was the biggest team in the world for four years and you were part of it for three years, that it's been whitewashed from history a little bit. Like when uh, Bleacher Report just put out the top 20 starting lineups of all time and of the last 20 years, the top 10 of the last whatever, and the Heat didn't have a starting lineup on there. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like when people talk about championships with LeBron, they talk about you know, Cleveland, not here. Do you feel in any ways that, that that era, as big as it was at the time, has kind of been pushed to the side? That's, I think I was weighing down the uh, starting lineups there. <laughs> I take full responsibility for that. But, you know... <laughs> You know, look, we were an amazing team. We were sandwiched in between kind of two interesting eras um, that, unfortunately, you know, people have a quick memory. But I think time will, will remember us as really innovators to the small ball era. And, you know, LeBron's first and Dwayne's second and third. And those, those guys are all-time great. So uh, our, our time will come. Your guys at your peak in 12-13 against the peak Warriors team. Who you like in seven games? I'm rolling against us, against anybody. It's a good way to close. Shane, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. 
All right, Ethan. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Fire Regional Sports Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.